0: 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. I'm going to be picking right back up where we left off. I'm going to read verses 10 through 15. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning. That we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. In the beginning of these verses, we can see the conclusion of the previous verses, especially verse 9 that we talked about last week. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed, Christ's seed, remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. God's seed is his nature. Given to each believer at salvation. We see that in John 1:13 and 2nd Peter 1:4. A new believer is regenerated with a new nature. God's divine nature is placed within the person who is saved. Giving their life over to Jesus, surrendering. They're regenerated their spirit now becomes alive and they receive God's divine nature within. It changes a man, it changes a woman completely. When a person receives Christ as his Savior, tremendous spiritual changes takes place in a person. He or she is given a new standing before God, being accepted as righteous in God's sight. Because Jesus has made you and I righteous. The new Christian is also given a new position. The believer is set apart for God's own purposes. To live for his glory. We live for God now. We no longer live for ourselves. We no longer live for what the world has done. And wants to do it and through you. We live for the purpose of God now. So John writing to believers And as he writes this, we're going to see two essentials or evidences of this new birth that has taken place within a believer. He's trying to emphasize these these changes so there's clarity to the people he's writing to. Those who are truly Christians and they are regenerated, they're born again. And those who are only pretending in name only. And so when we see these things, what are those essentials? What are those evidences in our lives to know with a surety that we're saved? He starts and says, I'm speaking, I'm writing to you two two different groups of children. Two groups of people who are reading this, potentially this letter. And this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. It comes clear It's very clear. It's it's nothing hidden. It's very obvious who is a child of God and who is a child of the devil. But he says, Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is he who does not love his brother. The two essentials. The two key evidence. If you are saved, are you're born again, or you're not. If you're born again, you will want to practice righteousness. You will practice what the scriptures say. You desire the things of God's word and you want it to apply to your life. Almost almost overnight, please Lord, just make me new completely. He did. He completely wiped all your sins away. You're as white as snow. There's no sin in you. When the Father looks down into your life, He sees His Son in you. You are sinless. That doesn't mean you're not working out those things, working out the salvation, working out and becoming more like Jesus, more like your Savior, and that it takes time, but you will come to a glorified state when you're absent from this body, this flesh, and in the presence of the Lord. Amen? That should be a celebration moment. Because your flesh is no longer going to rule over you or mess with you, nor the world. But John says here already, he introduced this concept of being a child of God in verse 1 of chapter 3. That we should be called the children of God. As a, as a new believer, you become adopted into the, into the family of God. He also talked about, in verse 9, being born of God, that born-again experience. He was already writing some things about the devil back in verse 8 as well. But here he makes it plain and clear. Some are children of God, and some are the children of the devil. God, or I should say, as he's working through John, doesn't spend time to prove or explain the existence of the devil. You don't have to spend time explaining the devil. He knows the reality of the devil in a biblical fact. He knows this as truth and he doesn't have to explain it to his readers. Some today lack God, uh, John's wisdom because they lack his wisdom because now they this topic of demonic Realm and the things are going on. Some people deny that there is ever if anything as such as a devil even exists. It's just made up. Why? Because the enemy has made the devil look almost childlike, with the red little man in the red little tight suit with a little pork, you know, a little, you know, something a staff in his hand with a little sta- and little horns, and they make it childish to downplay the seriousness. Of someone who is real called the devil. Or you don't have God's wisdom. You'll act like the devil doesn't exist. Or you'll become obsessed with the devil. And you will just consume your life in studying the life of the devil. And the things that involved. But as a child of God, we don't do that. We know the reality, what the scripture says, of Satan and the demonic forces. We observe it, we recognize it, and we know that we're in battle every day against it. But we don't get consumed or ignore it like it doesn't exist. Some might think John is too harsh here. in saying to his readers, oh, you're, some of you are children of, of the devil. You're not sounding very loving, John, in your letter. But Jesus called people the children of the devil, even in John chapter 8, verses 41 through 45. So Jesus addressed this directly. Jesus' point was important because establishing the principle of our spiritual parentage determines our nature and our destiny. If we are born again and have God as our Father, our Heavenly Father, our Father, it will show in our nature and our destiny. But whether our father is Satan or Adam, that sends you to a completely different destiny. It will also show our nature and destiny and how we live and what our our future will be if you follow Satan. Just as it shows adversaries uh, adversaries against Jesus there in the scripture there in John 8 we too have to recognize Satan is very much wants to come against you as a believer and it will become very clear John says it will manifest it will be very clear though not easy it will identify the difference between a child of God versus a child of the devil because he says whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Practice. Habitual. We're not talking about you. You stumbled. And you got a weak moment. A weak point, And you're trying to regain your strength here. He's not talking about that. He's talking someone who practices things. That are goes against the word of God. Your lifestyle, how you live, and what you accept and think it's okay to do the things that God's word clearly says you cannot do as a child of God anymore. You used to, but you've given your life to Christ, you're born again. Now you don't want to do those anymore. You're fighting to keep away from those things. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about those he's writing to, especially those who say they're a Christian but they're living a lifestyle with no problem, a full acceptance. It's okay to live like this. God will understand. God completely understands. He makes it clear in the scripture. If you, practice, if you don't practice righteousness, you're not of God. You're not a child of God. You're a child of the devil. I know it seems to be harsh to say it, but that's the word of God. For some who's listening to this, should be k- tremendous conviction should be, be coming over you. God's, the Spirit of God should be touching your heart, saying, he's talking to you. I'm talking to you right now. You need to repent of what I'm bringing to your memory. Right now, you need to repent and give that to me. Do You need to get saved. That's what the Spirit of God is saying to some. For others, you're sitting there going, praise God, I'm so glad he freed me. I am saved. I'm no longer that person. I'm fighting. I I struggle sometimes. I don't want to take the drink, but I I struggle, but I'm still fighting. I don't want to do the drugs anymore. I don't want to be sleeping around. I don't want to be anger. I don't want to be greedy anymore. I don't want to be a liar anymore. And God has taken, he's done a tremendous work. He's still working in me, but you're celebrating right now. Because the Spirit of God is letting you know and reassuring you are saved. You're changed. You're no longer the old man. You're no longer the person before B.C., before Christ. You know you've changed and how you think and how you live. And God is still doing the work. How do righteousness and love balance here? They don't. Righteousness and love does not balance. We are never to love at the expense of righteousness and are never to be righteous at the expense of love. We aren't looking for a balance between the two because they are not opposites. Real love is the greatest righteousness and real righteousness is the greatest love. Love and righteousness, the evidence of the new birth in someone, are each the most perfectly displayed in the nature of Jesus. He was both righteous and completely loving. He is our example of how and why we want to be more like Jesus. John continues here. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. One of the key evidence of a person who is a born-again believer is the love for the brethren. The love of the church family. There's a love, there's a connection that you can't explain. You could, could care less. The only thing that you bonded with was people who were like you who actually did exactly the way you wanted it at work or home, if you lived within my little bubble and did everything I want you to do, then I might be able to show some kind of generosity to you. But as soon as you don't do what I want you to do, I'll turn on you. That's not the love we're talking about here. We're talking about agape love, unconditional love. Yes, people are of all variety of shapes and sizes and backgrounds, and and some are porcupines. They're really prickly to get around. And some are really squishy and very loving and overloving. But you love them, and you can't wait to get around them because there's a refreshment that comes from being around God's people. Are you with me? is that triggering for you? Because you know what you were like prior to coming to Christ. You wanted nothing to do with the goody two-shoes who go on Sunday at a building. I have no idea why you would want to go there and sing together and listen to some old man teach the word. But then when you got saved, everything changed. You can't wait to get to church, to get around God's people, even if it's just a two or three gathered in his name. You can't wait to go to someone's home because you're having tea together or two or three gathered together in his name. You can't wait for the moments where you're going to maybe a, something much larger and you can't wait. Oh, you just can't wait because God uses that relationship's far greater than any other relationship outside a family. Matter of fact, the love that you have for the people within the body is, for most people that I have found, I'm being one of them. There's more love here than in my own family that I grew up with. Because you're believers. We have the same spirit that lives within each of us. And the spirit communes and connects us beyond the physical, beyond the blood. Are you with me? And he says, you've known this. You've heard this from the very beginning. We should love one another. It's an evidence of a new birth. As believers, John already emphasized the command to love as being the word which you heard from the beginning. But remembering this message to love one another, he remembered the command of Jesus. When Jesus made that commandment in John 13, verses 34 and 35, I, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You want to know the evidence if someone's born again? Just watch their life and see if they love the church family. They love the people within the church family. They can't wait to be around in fellowship. You've tried it, right? We've all got, we realize how much when you got isolated, we all got isolated. Here, we only got isolated for a very short period of time, like maybe a couple of Sundays when COVID happened. Only a couple. We're like, this is, this is completely going against the word of God. We're going together. And whoever wants to come, come. Because for some who were not, were not able to come back, you, you, you immediately sensed and knew there was something missing because you were not able to be around God's people. You just knew it. They're just like, we got to come back. Now you know Why? Because God says it's an evidence of someone being born again. You cannot not be around God's people. I think that's beautiful. Because the basic message has not changed. Perhaps some have thought that because Christians talk about personal relationship with Jesus Christ that it was all about just you and Jesus and in my Bible it's all I need and I'm going to my mountaintop I'm going to exclude and be isolated and stuff no 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 that's not scriptural yes there's times you do that but this is a time where you have to understand we are to be around God's people it is part of the evidence of being born again But John also here in verse 12 says something interesting. He tells his audience what love is not. He says, it is not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's was righteous. His brother Abel was following the Lord. He was obedient to the Lord. He wanted to please the Lord he, and everything in that time. Cain did not want to. And even though John here uses a negative example showing Cain, who was not right with God because his works were evil, they were not righteous works. And he hated his brother, which is completely against the word of God. You're not to hate your brother. When there are two children of God, when they are both together and they're both right with God, guess what produces? Love. When two people are walking with the Lord and doing it rightly, it produces love. In the body of Christ, also in marriage, also in brothers and sisters in the same household. If you're both walking rightly with God, it will produce the fruit of what? Love. So when there's no love and there's not a love, there's some issue there of love, what does that tell you? Logically, one or both are not walking rightly with God. That means you have to examine your life and say, Lord, if you find any wicked way in me, change me. Convict me. Bring me to my knees so I will no longer not walk against, against you like a child of the devil, but a child of God that I have obedience and out of love to heal the relationships of that marriage or that family or the church family it's very clear Cain did not want to follow and do what his brother did being righteous in God's eyes to do what it is we can presume Cain was had a godly upbringing And should have been equipped to love and to understand these things. But Cain's disobedience came from the lack of faith. We see that in Hebrews 11.4. He had a lack of faith. He did not trust God. And that resulted in disobedience and hatred. It started with the mind. Oh, my brother's a goody Mm two-shoes. Always seems to... Get his way, everything's fine. And why does he get to and I don't get to? And why is it? When that starts happening in your mind, you need to stop it. Because if it's not, you're going to go squirrely and it will grow and take root and jealousy and bitterness and envy will take root. And we see in the scriptures, it's satanic. Let me say it again. You have hatred towards someone, it's satanic. Bitterness, satanic. Envyness? Satanic. Jealousy? Satanic. You're dealing with dark things here. You're being messed with as a child of God or you're not a child of God. Which one is it today? Which one? Because Cain's disobedience and hatred was based on pride. We see that in Genesis 4-5. Pride is at the root of it. We also see that his disobedience and hatred made him miserable. It will never bring joy. It will bring you misery in your life. And you can see it on people's faces. You see that also. Go back and read Genesis 4-5. But Cain's refusal to and, and, and will not listen to God's warning to him. And even the people I'm sure spoke to his life would not listen to anyone. And he gave in to the sin of hatred. We see that in Genesis 4, 6 and 7. So it started with the mind. But it will ultimately lead to action. And he actually carried it out, that hatred we see in Genesis 4, 8. Cain was avoiding dealing with the sin. He had this sense of evasion, like, I'll deal with it later. My hatred, my anger, I'll deal with it later. Everyone else needs, Abel, you need to change. Everyone else needs to change. I'm just fine. Cain was avoiding his sin of hatred and tried to hide it, we see, but God found him out, we see that in Genesis 4, verses 9 and 10. God will always reveal and always find it out for you. See, Cain's jealous resentment of his brother's righteousness because he was living for God is the sensitive nerve point that John wanted to touch on on to his readers and to you and I today. John touched on hatred toward another Christian is often prompted. Do you know why? Do you know why someone would hate another Christian? The prompting comes by a feeling of guilt about one's life as compared to the other person. You start comparing, and you do not like why someone else seems to love and moving forward in a godly way and deep within, you you don't like that. It becomes a, a, a feeling, it becomes a thing that you respond to out of guilt of one's life and you need to change. That's how you solve that problem with that speaking to you today. If you have that sense of guilt that you know you're not right, let this be a time today to confess that to the Lord And to say, today's the day I'm drawing a line, I'm stepping over, I'm going to give it all to God. Because if not, it will fester and it will become an issue of sin of hatred that you will not be able to win. It is important to remember that such reactions are satanic. John makes it bluntly confirming and real and clear to us in the scripture today. Verse verse 13, he says, Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. So if you're walking like Abel, righteous in God's eyes, you're doing what God's called you to do. His own brother turned on him and killed him. If If you're walking rightly, doing what God's called you to do and living a life for God that pleases him, what do you and I expect will happen? The world is going to hate you. Do you not see that out in the news flash today? Do you not see the things playing out so real to us because you're a Christian? They are openly telling you they hate you and you've done nothing. Matter of fact, you've been giving and loving and showing, you want to help them. But they're a child of the devil. They can only hate. And the world will hate you. So don't be marveled, John says to him. We shouldn't be surprised when the world hates us. But we should be surprised when there is hatred among the body of Christ. That should not happen. That should not happen. For we know, verse 14, that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren He who does not love his brother abides in death. John says right here, Do you remember? You've passed from death to life. You were dead in your sins and now you're alive. You have eternal life. How can you you not be so excited and, and, and change that you cannot? The love that was shown to you, the Savior of the world giving you an opportunity to be saved and from going to hell and now you're going to heaven. How could you not receive that love and then turn around and cast that same love to those around you in the body of Christ? We're a body. Some of you are hands. Some of you are ears. Some of you are feet. We won't go any further. But what happens when one part of the body goes rogue and rebels, the cells start rebelling? Does it affect just that one part of the body or does it affect the whole body? Cancer will always affect the whole body. Do you see how important it is, my brothers and sisters, why We stay close to the Lord and stay in his word and stay walking rightly with him. Stay and remember what he has done in your life. He's died for all that sin. Just continue to walk and trust him. If not, you will become cancerous within a body of believers. And we just had today, that's when the pastors will have to come and speak to you. To help you understand the error of your ways if you're unloving and, and unkind and gentle. If you're not growing, we want to teach you and help you by, by a gentleness to help you to understand. That is not, as a child, God. that's not how you live. Let the Lord change you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because we know that we have passed from death to life. Notice where normally, as you think about life, normally you, you're born, you're living a life, you have a life, and you know you're going to die from life to death. Well, that was your, before B.C.'s, you were going from life to death. But now, as a child of God, you're no longer going from life to death. You're going from death to life. You have eternal life. And apart from these bodies, we will be in the presence of the Lord. And so when he's saying these are the evidence of being born again, these are clear evidences. Because if you do not, if you're not loving to your brothers, or you don't care about the things of God's people, you abides in death. You're in darkness and you need to hear it, John says. You need to hear the truth. We can know we have passed from death to life by our love for other Christians. The place of hatred and jealousy and bitterness, you find yourself in a place of death. But if you're no longer there, you're no longer there, you're passing away from that. You shouldn't see hatred and jealousy and bitterness in your life. Those are dark things if you do. And that means two things for you and I. First, we know that we were dead. There's no clear, cl- there's no question. We read the word, we know we used to be dead. And second, we know that we have passed from, to life from death because of the changes that have taken place in your life. You want to live rightly, righteously for God, and you love the people of God. Does that speak of you today? Do you pursue fellowship with God's people? You should. If you're born again, that's evidence. If we love the brethren, we will want to be with them and not avoid them. Even if we have been battered by them, bruised by them, unlovingly confronted by them, there will still be something in us drawing us back to fellowship with brethren we love because you have an unforgive. You're willing to forgive. You don't have an unforgiving spirit. You have a forgiving spirit. You realize there's still God is still working in their lives, and if He's forgiven you much, how could you not forgive them much? Spurgeon says it this way, very clear. You know, if you ever read Spur- Charles Spurgeon, he doesn't sugarcoat this. He says, "Do you love them for Christ's sake?" Do you love your brothers and sisters for Christ's sake? Do you say to yourself, that is one of Christ's people. That is one who bears Christ's cross. That is the one of the children of God. Therefore, I love him and take delight in his company. Then that is an evidence that you are not of the world, but in the body of Christ. You look at that person and you see all the flaws and you see all the things that God's still working and you still love them and you still want to be around them. You're not going to avoid them. Verse 15. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Ooh, gets a little bit more intense. To hate our brother is to spiritually murder him in our hearts. I didn't murder anyone, Pastor. I just don't like them. I used to really hate him, but I don't hate him too much today. I, I just don't I just don't, don't like them. I don't want to be around them. You can sugarcoat it all you want in your mind. But to hate your, our brothers to spiritually murder him in their hearts, though we may not carry out the action of murder. Why? Because you're convicted. Or you fear of punishment. Or you had some boundaries given to you at an age to know that's not right. You shouldn't do that. What are other people going to think? There's some boundaries keep you from going into the action. Something with stripes and, and being in a in, in penitentiary and locked up for life is something unappealing to most people. So there's a boundary that keeps you from actually following through with action of what is going on in your mind. You've murdered them multiple times over. We were wish the person was dead. Or by ignoring another person, we may treat them as if they were dead. Hatred can be shown passively or actively. And both are bad. Don't be fooled. John seemed to have in mind the teaching of Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount regarding the true fulfillment of the law. Go back and read Matthew 5, verses 21 and 22 today. But he says, clearly, John says, to live in the practice of murder. You are a person who just hates People. You do not, that's your lifestyle, that's who you are. They didn't do it your way. They came against you. They weren't, they weren't, and and they could be not nice. They could be really mean people, really bad people. But don't lower yourself to their level. As a child of God, allow Him to lift you up above this, this wickedness. That you have to experience. He will strengthen you. He will encourage you. And he will bring you through it. But for those who live in a practice of murder. Practice habitual hatred. For brothers and for others. Is a demonstration. That you do not have eternal. Life abiding in you. You need to surrender your life to Jesus today. If that's speaking to you. Being a Christian is more than just saying I'm a Christian. It's easy to say I'm a Christian because it makes, helps you fit in. I used to do that when I was a heathen. Kathleen can convince me, you know, keep her happy to go to Catholic mass thing. And I would do it, just keep her happy because I need peace in the house. And I can pretend to be a Catholic better than probably most Catholics. So I've learned how to survive. In my world, you learn how to survive, to blend. Everyone thought I was Catholic. I finally had to tell them, I can't be the president of your Catholic society. I'm not even Catholic. <laughs> but you seemed like you're a Catholic. I'm a great pretender at the time. I could cross and bow with the best of them. But I had to remind them, have you ever seen me go up and take the Eucharist? No. Why haven't you? Because my wife would kill me. She wouldn't let me go that far because that would be sacrilegious. You know, you can't do that. If you're a Christian by name only and you've been pretending, stop pretending. You're miserable. Come to Jesus today. He loves you. He died for all that sin of yours to set you free. Amen? Amen. I don't know about you, but having a clean heart is nothing better than having a clean heart. There are three tests to measure the proof of genuine Christianity in one's life. You know what those three tests are? The truth test, the love test, and the moral test. If we believe in what the Bible teaches as true, then you pass the test. If we show the love of Jesus to others around us, you pass the test. If our conduct, how we live our life, has been changed and is becoming more like Christ, our righteous conduct, you pass the test. Then our claim to be a Christian can be proved true in your life. Then there is evidence of the new birth in you. And we praise God every day for it. Amen.